So glad to be with you. Thank you for taking the time and effort and energy to get from where you were to this location this morning. We want to be used of God to help us look to what the Bible says. We're in Acts chapter number 20. What a great passage of Scripture. The book of Acts, and just uh, for all of us who are here, just a quick reminder, God gave us His Word in one book. But inside the book, there are 66 other books. The first half is the Old Testament, which is 36, 39 books were written before Jesus came. The second half is the New Testament, and that is 27 books that were written after Jesus went back to heaven. This morning, we're studying in the Bible in one of those 66 books in the second half of the Bible, the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is, follows four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. They're books that were written about Jesus specifically while he was on the earth. He lived here only for 33 and a half years. Most of those years uh, that, uh, of course, it tells a little bit about his birth in, in, in Luke and also in the book of Matthew. And then uh, from the time he was 12 until he was 30, there's years of silence. Those 18 years, all we know is he worked hard in his father's carpenter shop, and he honored his mom and dad in a perfect way because he lived without any sin. At the age of 30, he got baptized, and then he spent his time preparing not only to go to the cross, but preparing 12 men who would take the gospel after he went back to heaven to others. And the reason we're here today is because he trained 12. By the way, all of us ought to be trainers. If we're saved, we ought to train someone else to serve the Lord in the same way. If you're on security, I hope that you will help someone else learn how to do security. If you know an instrument, I hope you'll train someone else to learn that instrument. If you know how to do something for the Lord, hope you'll train somebody else. You know how to win someone to Christ? Train someone else to win someone to Christ. You know how to disciple someone? Train someone else to disciple someone. Whatever it is that God's put you to do in the work of the Lord, you ought to continue on in that ministry. Well, the Apostle Paul did that, and he came to our pages of our Bible in a chapter, in, in chapters maybe about seven, eight, and nine. Uh, on chapter seven, he comes on the pages, but in chapter one of the book of Acts, it's a longer book of our New Testament. There are two long books. They're written by the same person, and that is the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Well, the book of Acts is a story and the history of the early church. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Jesus goes back to heaven. In chapter 2, God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, comes down from heaven to live inside of people who have accepted Him as their Savior. Then those people begin talking about the Savior that lives inside of them and telling other people about Christ. Lots of things happened during that time. Now we're several years since Jesus has gone back to heaven. Probably maybe even 20 years or more has come by since Jesus has gone back to heaven. Now the Apostle Paul has been saved by the Lord and he and others have gone throughout the world. They have gone on one large missionary journey and uh, they have come back with Barnabas and they report. The second time he goes out again, but he goes out this time with Silas on the second missionary journey. That's the longest, 2,800 miles total on foot and on a boat as they traveled around and told people about Christ and established churches, won the lost, discipled converts. Now he's on his third missionary journey and he's almost done. 
He is traveling with seven men who are with him, that all of which got saved in Gentile communities while he was on his missionary work. Now they have, they're coming back with him to Jerusalem. Let's look at the quick map real quickly. You can see this. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Here's how he starts his third missionary journey. Number one, he leaves in Antioch. That's the where they left the first time, and this is where he leaves again. And he goes to Tarshish. That's his hometown. And then into Asia and Iconium and to Ephesus. He'll stay in Ephesus for three years and minister there and train many other pastors. That will be instrumental in a few moments. We'll see that. He goes over there to Troas, and the Lord sends him across into Macedonia. They go to these towns, and uh, they pass through some smaller ones and get to Thessalonica, and then to Berea, and then down to Athens, and uh, to Athens, Greece. And they will go to Corinth, and then they're going to go back up through there a little bit. That's where he's spending time meeting these people and uh, gathering his friends. Now he's on the way back home, and he's going to go back to Troas for a quick visit, and then to Assos, to Meltalini, and then to, to Chios, and then he's going to go to Miletus. When in, in chapter 20, where we're studying today, he is in the port city of Miletus. You can see Miletus and Ephesus are about 30 miles apart, and now he is going back down. If I continue the map, you'll see that he'll go down to a place called Kos, and then out to an island of Rhodes, and then uh, Patera, and he'll eventually make his way back into Israel to Tyre and Sidon, and then he'll go back down to Jerusalem, where he'll be eventually arrested by the, uh, the Jewish police and then rescued by the Roman police. You can read more about that in the future. But that's just a little bit there. If I could, if I could just tell you, we're going to go back here. This is where we are, we're going to find ourselves, right there in Miletus. Miletus is a port city, and the Apostle Paul has come there. He's got the seven men traveling with him, and he wants to give a last challenge to the Christians that live in Ephesus. But to reach them, he'll have to talk to their pastors. So he asked all the pastors in Ephesus to come and meet him beside the boat that he's getting ready to get on, and he wants to give them a final challenge. He will speak to them. He looks them eye to eye, and you can imagine they all come. There may have been 15. There may have been 40. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how many, but many of the pastors from that community of Ephesus come out to the boat. There's a boat there. There's a Paul. There's seven men that are traveling with him, and now these pastors begin showing up at the port. They're standing on the side there of the, of the, uh, the ocean, and he looks in the eye and he tells them, like, you remember how we were together. I was with you for three years, night and day. You saw me in good times. You saw me in bad times. And he said, we served the Lord together. We had problems. We had people that were against us. We had difficulties. We had wonderful times. And I taught you in the public places of the church, and I taught you in your homes. And I'm sure all those men listening to him said, yeah, I remember that. Yes, oh, that was a tough time. Yes, I remember when you came to my house. You taught me publicly and house to house. And he says, I showed you how to live for the Lord, and I taught you how to live for the Lord. And all of them probably said yes. He said, I, I witnessed to people. Everywhere I went, I shared people the gospel of Christ. And they probably said, yeah, that's true. And he says, now I'm going back to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but he says, what I do know is that when I get there, the Holy Spirit has already told me that I'm going to be incarcerated again. Bonds and afflictions are coming my way, and I'm going to have it again. 
And they probably said, well, then don't go there. He's going to be warned several times, no, no, don't go back there. If that's what's going to happen, don't do it. But he says, I don't care. None of those things move me. Because I haven't counted my life dear to myself. I'm not going to let pride, I'm not going to let problems, I'm certainly not going to let people keep me from finishing my course with joy. But then he says, I want, some, I want to tell you some things. And by the way, not everybody is supposed to be a pastor of a church. But you know, everybody uh, should be qualified to be a pastor of a church. You should earn, if you say, Pastor, what does it take to be a pastor of a church? We'll read 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 this afternoon. And you'll see the qualifications of the kind of people that need to be qualified to serve the Lord as a pastor. Now, not everybody. There's two positions open in Christianity. One is to be a pastor. The other one is to help your pastor. And basically, that's what we are. We're all either working together. The, the work of God needs three things. The Lordship of Jesus, the leadership of the church, and the partnership of the people. Everybody working together. Boy, I tell you, this church has been blessed, and it's blessed right now with lots of wonderful partners in the ministry. And I thank God for every one of you. Well, the Apostle Paul, though, he says, look, I, you're the pastors. And so I'm going to give you some advice. And I want to give the same advice that Paul gave Timothy to you and I this morning. Because some of you may not be a pastor of church, but you're a pastor in a Sunday school class. I was thinking about some folks sitting on this side of the room who are, who are Sunday school teachers. And over here, I was looking in the balcony and seeing Sunday school teachers. You're not a pastor of a church, but you're pastoring a group of people. I see bus workers and bus captains. You're pastoring those communities. Uh, if you're a dad, you're pastoring your family. There's lots of things. We're all, some of us, are, sometimes we're, we're following and sometimes we're leading. But Apostle Paul, he knew, he did not think he would see these people again. So he gave them some very important advice. And I think it's important for you and I today. And regardless whether you, uh, you can't get your shadow to follow you, or you say, I'm not that much of a leader, or uh, you are in charge of something that God has given you to be responsible for. Some of you, you're, a, you're in a youth group, but you're the leader. You have a, a sometimes more influence than the youth pastor has. Sometimes there's people in the church that have more influence than the pastor on the people. That's, that's just true. But Paul said, I want to teach you some things. I think you've got to get straight in your hearts and life. Just by way of review, the first thing he says in verse number 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Number one, he says, you have to take care of you. You have to take care of your own walk with God, your own personal purity, and your own role in your family. Listen, many people have hurt others around them because they didn't take care of themselves. On an airplane, if you ever fly, you'll find that they will say, we do not expect a change in cabin pressure. But in case that happens, Four masks will fall out of your ceiling, and you'll need to take one and put it on yourself and tighten it above your, your face, and, and uh, the bag will may not inflate, but you can know that you're receiving oxygen. But they always say this, if you're traveling with a child or someone who's acting like a child, they don't always say that, but uh, they say if you're traveling with a child, you want to do this, put it on yourself first before assisting anyone else. What they're saying is, is if you're going to help anybody on that plane, if there's a lot of loss of cabin pressure and they need oxygen, you can't go around helping everybody else if you don't take care of you. And the truth of the matter is, that's very true in the Christian life. 
Sometimes there are people who try to help everybody else, but they don't take care of their own homework. They don't take care of their role in their family. They're struggling in areas there. They don't take care of their own personal purity. They're not walking with God, and yet they're trying to help other people. And you're just an accident waiting for a place to happen. That's right. I want to ask you this morning to, to take the same advice that Paul gave to these leaders in the, in the city of Ephesus. Number one, take care of you. If you're not right spiritually, you can't lead somewhere, someone where you have not gone. You can't encourage others to be pure when you're not pure yourself. You'll be a train wreck looking for a place to happen. Number one, take care of yourself. Now, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've done this last week. I don't know what's on your phone. I don't know who you're texting. I don't know who you're meeting. I don't know the secret email you set up to hide. And by the way, anybody who is struggling in sin will always be a coward. It creates fear because you're trying to cover your tracks. And it gets really, really frustrating. And sin is the world's greatest detective. It always gets its man. You'll be, you'll be sure about this. Be sure your sin will find you out. Don't try to mess with sin. You start playing with sin, sin will eventually start playing with you. The best thing to do when you have a sin problem is to confess it to God and forsake it. To admit it and to quit it. Don't try to cover it. Don't try to disguise it. Don't try to hide it. Come out with the Lord and, and confess it as sin and repent of it and, and let God help you with that. It's so important. Number one, he says, you've got to take care of yourself. And you pray that I'll do that in this particular body of believers and that those who are leaders, all of us, need to protect ourselves and take care of them. He says, I want you to take care to lead and feed God's people. There are people who depend upon you. You may only be one person in the world or one person in this church, but you're the world to one person. You choose that you no longer want to attend on a Sunday night or a midweek service when you can. You're missed. Your seat is empty. We're not counting noses in this church, but I'm just telling you, when you decide, I don't think I'm going tonight, I don't think that's important, you're going to steer and other people are going to be affected by your decisions. I know there's nothing the Bible says you must go to church three times a week. Matter of fact, it says as often as you can, you ought to go. It says you ought, to, you ought to do so as we get closer to the coming of Christ. We ought to make sure that we don't miss opportunities to hear God's word, to be with God's people, and to strengthen those around us. It's very important. But he says take care of yourself, and then lead by example, and feed and help other people understand the word of God. That was his advice to them. And then he says, I want you to expect doctrinal error and, and bad doctrine and division making people within the body. I don't like this. But Apostle Paul said, let's look at it and see it real quickly. You're in chapter 20. Would you look at verse number 29? For know this, that after my departing, when I leave and get on this boat and I leave you, shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves, some of you have got this bad stuff inside of you. Shall men arise speaking perverse things and drawing away disciples after them? He said, I want you to expect doctrinal and divisive challenges. This is something I would just say to every one of us. Beware who you're listening to, who is leading you, what you're reading, who you're following. 
Talked to a young man this week. He's 19 years old. He had been exposed to the truth of God's Word, and now he is entertaining evolution as a fact instead of creation as a fact. And there's always somebody he's talking to. There's always somebody who's influencing him, and I'm not beyond that as a 55-year-old pastor, and you're not beyond that, regardless of where you are in the Christian life. We can get a little squirrely if we start listening to the wrong teaching. He says, look, you guys, he's looking at these pastors. He said, listen, expect doctrinal and divisional challenges. The Bible tells us six things the Lord hates. He hates a proud look. He hates a lying tongue. He hates someone who shares gossip with other people. He doesn't like these things. And, but he says, I really despise people that sow discord among the brethren. He said, it really ticks him off when people are divisive. But Paul knew that that would happen because you can't have peace in the Christian life and as you can't have a lot of progress without some peace. And the devil oftentimes, he doesn't try to get you and I to, to worship the devil. He wants you to get divisive, doubtful thoughts going in your head. He wants you to say things on Facebook you shouldn't say or call someone or give this innuendo to somebody that shouldn't be done. And it causes division and it causes doctrinal error. He just warns us. By the way, do we need to be warned 2,000 years later about this? I think so. Number one, he said, take care of yourself. Number two, be a good example and teach the right things. And watch out for those who will cause division and those who will cause doctrinal error as he teaches them on that little shore outside the boat. And he says, look, this is not the first time I told you this. I spent three years, day and night, with tears coming down my face, begging you don't be influenced by bad doctrine and divisional challenges. He, it was a burden on his heart. Now let's look, if we can, please, at the next thing he says. If you would, please look at verse number 32. Now, brethren, I commend you to whom? And to the word of his grace that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. The fourth thing he tells them, he challenges them with, I want you to trust God and his word. You know, most of our problems are faith problems. Most of our problems is that we got bad things that come to our mind when we think about God and his goodness. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about God, but whatever comes to your mind when you think about God will determine what you'll do for him. It determines our giving. It determines our commitment. It determines what we, how we'll conduct ourselves, how we'll live, how we'll talk, what we'll put on our Facebook or our, our, our social media. Everything really boils down to what I think about God. Is he with me? Does he love me? Does he care about me? When you know God is with you, you elevate your behavior. People who do not live right, and I've been in that group sometimes, it's because God was not, I didn't have his presence. Oh, I knew he would never leave me nor forsake me from the moment he saved me. But I didn't live right because I thought he wasn't there. I was living as though God was not. And what the concept of that is, is the fear of the Lord. When you know God is with you, you will elevate your behavior. When you know God is with you, you'll have wisdom. You'll have knowledge. You'll get the secret of the Lord. When you know God is with you, you'll let him direct your path. These are things that God wants. He says, now look, I, guys, I'm leaving. I'm getting on this boat in a minute, but I commend you. I've warned you. Take care of yourself. 
Be a good example. Stay right doctrinally. Don't get divided by challenges. I've warned you about that, but now all I can do is commend you and, and ask you to trust the Lord and the word of his grace that he would keep you. Now, that may sound trite this morning, but the truth of the matter is, let me ask you a question. You ask yourself, what is my relationship with God right now? And what's my relationship to his word? Do I make much of the Bible? Sometimes it's easier to watch a two-hour football game than it is, or a baseball game than it is to read 20 verses of the Bible. We know more about what's going on here and there than we know about the scriptures. And some of us, we've been saved for decades, and we're reading our Bible less and less. And God is less and less close to us, and it's not his fault. He didn't move. We've moved. But as he was leaving these servants of Christ, he said, listen, I need you to build yourself up personally with your relationship with God and build yourself by the word of his grace. Can that rattle your cage this morning? Would you be willing to say, you know what, I want to have a closer relationship with God. I want to love his word. I want to know his word. I don't want to just know all about everything on my phone, and I know about this, and I know what happened here, I know what my girlfriend's upset about, and I know what this person thinks, and I've read this. I know who, uh, who's, what's going on in national and the politics and the things of that nature, and then be ignorant of the word of his grace. He said, I commend you to deepen and build up your relationship with God, and you'll do that through his word. I've been embarrassed so many times by my lack of understanding of the scriptures. I don't want that to be the case. The Bible commands us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you've been saved for a few weeks or a few months or a few decades all of us need to keep that inside, that inertia going inside to say, you know what, i got to know him more. See, what's the difference with the Apostle Paul who was used? He goes, that I might know him. And the power is resurrection, the fellowship is suffering. I want to know him. I cannot imagine what that looked like as, as Paul stood on, the, on, that, on that beach that day with all those men looking at him. I'm sure tears came again. He said, I've warned you. He says, now I'm getting on this boat. And I commend you to build yourself up with your knowledge of God and your word, the word of God. Stay faithful to him. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Let's continue with the chapter, can we please? Would you look at the next verse? The Bible says in verse number 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Verse 34, would you read it with me? Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered into my necessities and to them that were with me. Would you read verse 35 as well, everybody? I have showed you in all things. You ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said. This is kind of interesting to me. The last thing he will talk to them about is their, is their attitude and their perspectives regarding three things. Materialism, work, and giving. You know, if you read the most, uh, I think, the greatest message ever recorded, it's the Beatitudes. It's the Sermon on the Mount by the Jesus Christ. It starts in chapter 5 and it ends in chapter 7. 
It starts off saying, blessed are the, the poor in spirit, for they shall see God, and all the, the Beatitudes. And then it ends up at the very end saying, hey, there's two men. One builds his house on rock. The other one builds it on a sand. He says, look, you've got to decide what you're going to do. You're going to hear it and do it, or you're just going to hear it? And he tells them that. But right in the middle of that message is where he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said, lay up, not up for yourself. He deals with in the middle of that message, very center of it. Chapter 6, verse number 18, 19, 20. You can look at it yourself in Matthew. He begins to get to the heart of the matter. And that is our attitude toward possessions, our, our work ethic, and our giving. This is the last thing he would challenge these pastors on. After that, they would hug each other. They would kneel down on their knees. They would pray beside that boat, and they would accompany him to the ship and say goodbye. And he challenges them in those areas. You know why I think he challenges us on that area, them on that area? Because it's the same problem I have 2,000 years later. I get caught up with materialism. He said, I have coveted no one else's possessions. One problem we have, and you need to admit it, even if you don't agree with it, and that is we all have an itch for more that's too strong inside of us. Materialism. We think about money. We think about possessions. We think about, well, how can I get more? How can I keep more? How can I have more? Will I have enough one day? It all comes to all of our minds. Because the Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. And it's something that God wants us to deal with this morning. And many of us, we have made financial security our goal. And God doesn't want you to have that as a goal. He wants you to have Him as a goal. There is great wisdom for prudence, for saving. It's very wise to save. The Bible says uh, there is oil and, and uh, there's, there's treasure to be desired in the, in the dwelling of a wise man, but a foolish man spends everything he has. Teenagers, when you make money, don't spend all your money. Talked to a guy this week, 13 years old. He went out and worked for three, worked all week long, every day, a whole day, doing all kinds of things every day, got $300 and spent all of it on fireworks. July 4th, that night, he was absolutely broke. And all of his money went up in smoke. We can laugh at that, but us adults have done something dumb like that too from time to time. Now go trying to buy groceries at Costco when you're hungry. Yeah. You'll buy more than you should, I promise you. We've done that. We've spent money we shouldn't spend. But here we find, he says, look, he tells them, he says, look, you've watched me. And one thing you can't blame me about is three areas. Number one is I have not had covetousness as my lifestyle. I don't know about you, but I want to have that testimony. You do too. Number two, he says, you look at these hands. See them? He says, while I was with you for those three years, I worked with these hands. I took care of my own business so that you wouldn't blame me later on. I've worked hard with these hands. And I've actually got extra money so that I could labor and have to give to others who have need. Why? Because when he was with Jesus, somewhere maybe in Arabia, maybe somewhere where he heard, he says, I heard this from the Lord. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
These are practical things as we go through the book of Acts that I see. Number one, take care of you. How are you doing? Have you done the checkup from the neck up? Have you evaluated your own life? Are you committed in your relationship to God? Is your walk with God, what it, or is your personal purity what it ought to be? If it's not, admit it, quit it. Are you playing your family? Are you a good son? Are you a good daughter? Are you a good brother, a good sister, a good mom, good grandma? Are you a good, uh, are you a good uh, a wife? Are you a good husband? Are you a good dad? What is your role in your family? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you leading by example? Are you sharing the word of God with others? Are you careful about doctrinal problems and division that oftentimes complicates and hurts eternity and those we love the most? Are you faith-filled? Are you word-filled? How are you dealing with materialism? Is money on your brain all the time? Are you trying to find security in things? Are you, would you be known as a covetous person? I think many of you, are, that's not the case. I wouldn't, it wouldn't come across my mind when I think about you. But, you know, it doesn't matter my evaluation. God knows our hearts. Are we faithful to work hard? Laziness is the scourge of Christianity. When people are lazy, it just drains everyone around them. The work of God is at that. It's work. You want to have an average Sunday school class? Work in an average way. You want to have a, a, productive, a productive life? Start working a little harder. You want to have a good marriage? Work at your marriage. You work at your marriage, your marriage will start working. You stop working at your marriage, your marriage is going to stop working. It's diligence. It's work. And then we find, he says, it's blessed to give. Don't find yourself being a bucket. Be a funnel. Find yourself learning, God, please help me know where you want me to give any extra that you've given me and your purpose of what you want me to do with it. Don't be afraid to do that. And then they hugged Paul, and they took him to the ship, and they cried knowing that this would be the last time they thought they would see him. There's a lot of things in this passage of Scripture. I hope God will ring our bell this morning. Let's pray together. Can